Thanks for joining us for today's sermon on the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick, and we're so excited that you're going to check out today's message. Our prayer is that each week the message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you connect to God, maybe in a brand new way. We also pray that you connect with us as a community, that it doesn't stop just with your connection with God, but it gives you an opportunity to connect with the people at the Brick Church. So don't hesitate to reach out. Let's jump into today's message. All right. All right, we're going to jump right into week number two of Breaking Bread. If you are new with us, uh, last week uh, we talked about Breaking Bread and jumped into one of our key verses, uh, talking about how uh, when Jesus broke bread with his disciples, the Last Supper and at communion, uh, that we've, we've taken that moment, that singular moment, and it has shifted every moment from then on out. Like we, we take communion uh, at churches all over the world. Every faith tradition of Christianity has communion involved because of one singular moment. And so what I want you to see through this series is how in the hands of God, a moment, an object, a person, in the hands of God, can go from average, mundane, boring, to sacred and holy. It can be something unique and something pivotal in your life as long as it's in the right hands, the right context. And so we talked about moments last week, about having the right moments and setting up God and giving God your moments and letting him have those. And this week, I want to talk about the right relationships. And so I want to jump into our key verse in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. This is the Last Supper, the, di- the, the night that Jesus is going to die. He has his final meal with them. And in this moment, he says this, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. The very last moment. And we kind of talked about last week. They probably didn't recognize the moment at the moment. It was probably years later or a couple, three days later that they started to recognize Oh, wow. When he broke that bread, that was not just weird metaphors. It wasn't just symbolism. It was significant. It meant something. And he's saying, do this in remembrance of me. Every time that you take communion, every moment that this is happening, when you put it in my hands, when you lever it to just say, you know what? This isn't just bread. This is a moment where we're going to take communion. That moment shifts. It becomes like, because you're going to eat bread every day. You're going to drink wine in their context every single day. It's, it's what they had. It's what they had at almost every meal. But then all of a sudden, in the hands of God, in the moment of God, in the right timing, the right place, the right people, when you break that bread, it becomes something completely different, right? So today, what I want to talk about is how God is wanting to take average, normal relationships that you have in your life and leverage them to be holy, to be sacred. And what we mean by that, that those words can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. So uh, for definition's sake, for this sermon series, when I say something is sacred or holy, I'm saying it is uniquely set apart for the things of God, for the kingdom of God. So something goes from just bread to communion. It goes from just an average relationship to a God relationship, a moment, a connection. Um, Jesus says this uh, before he ever breaks bread. He says this to them in Luke 22, verses 14 and 15. He says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
So we, as we kind of dive into relationships, what I want you to see is that Jesus was desiring to eat with his disciples. The disciples could have been anywhere eating with anybody. Jesus could have desired to eat with anybody on the planet at that time. He could have, he could have picked any spot in the universe, any timeline in the universe, any point in history, and chose to eat the last meal he was going to eat on earth before his heavenly body was taken. The, the, the last moment, he could have chosen anybody, but for some reason, Jesus said, I chose you. I wanted to sit with you as the twelve. And maybe they didn't get it. Maybe they didn't recognize the moment. But the significance of where they were when they were there has to do with who they were following. That they were following and choosing to follow Jesus. So because they were choosing to follow Jesus, they were in a relationship with the other apostles. They were in in a relationship with the other apostles, with the other disciples. And it was a byproduct of following Jesus. That the relationships we have that become a product of us following Jesus might be a good start, a good indication to the relationships that are designed to be holy. The relationships we build when we are passionately pursuing Christ and all of a sudden this person comes across our path and it seems divine. Maybe God is trying to give us a signal that there's more to it than that. And so there, there are regular relationships. There's everyday relationships that you have in your life. Friendships through work and th- people you grew up around and your family and all of these things that might be average relationships. And I want to look and search and have you look and search today for the ones that are called to be holy the ones that are called to be unique and how you start to distinguish that something is holy, that the way that you know that this relationship is the relationship, the friendship, the connection point God has for me is you start to ask the question, does this relationship, this friendship, this person, our connection, does it draw me closer to God or does it draw me away from God? Does, it, does this connection point, does it help me to think about the things of God? Does it help me see what God sees in me in a different way? Does it help me decide that church is is a matter of importance? Does it help me be a better spouse or a better parent? Does it help me be a better employee? Does it make me better and closer to God? Do we make each other better in this friendship, in this connection point? Or do we make each other worse? Or maybe, maybe it's just a zero. Like, hey, we say hi. We know each other. We're kind of acquaintances. But it's not that big of a deal. Like, we don't, we don't do either. But I'm asking us to look for those relationships that maybe God has sent across our path that are meant to be more than just an acquaintance, meant to be more than just a friend, that we decide to invest in the relationships because we know God has placed them in our path for a purpose. And we decide to set them apart. When I set something apart for the use of God, I treat it differently. Right? If, if it's, this is God's, like this is God's moment, this is God's friendship, this is God's relationship that I have in my life, I'm going to treat that with a different level of care now because I need to invest in it differently. I need to pour into it differently. I need to make it a priority, right? When my average acquaintances want to hang out versus my holy connected relationships want to hang out, I'm going to make them a priority because they're going to make me closer to God. We're going to grow in our relationship with God together. And what, what takes place, uh, what has probably happened for a lot of us is that we've tried before. We, we've, we've kind of had some connection points. We've kind of had some friendships. We've kind of had some relationships and we might've been burned. We might've been burned in our friendships, our relationships. We felt like it hurt, felt like it was difficult. And we're like, uh, I don't know about this, man. I kind of like keeping people at a distance. I kind of like keeping people at a distance because deep connected relationships, the ones that, that God has called me to be in kind of sting sometimes. Sometimes they hurt. 
Because sometimes they challenge us. Sometimes they help us grow in ways that we're not ready to grow yet. Maybe they're good for us, even if they don't always feel good. So sometimes we've decided to put it at a distance. If you've gotten really unhealthy, and this is very common in the American church, if you've gotten really unhealthy, you might have decided that you just need a relationship with Jesus and everything else doesn't matter. That you, that like, listen, I'm good, man. I'm just going to try to have my relationship with Jesus. I'll say my, have my prayer time. I'll read my Bible. I'll listen to my worship and I'll be good. But I would argue that you cannot have a healthy relationship with Jesus without it directly connecting to your earthly relationships with the people around you. Because when it very first started, the disciples, when they were following Jesus, were forced into relationships side by side that they may not have liked so much. The following Jesus meant that I had to be friends with people that I may not have wanted to be friends with, but I know in following Jesus it had to happen. Let me give you one really strong example. Um, there was two disciples, uh, one named Matthew, the tax collector, and another one named Simon, the zealot. And their opinions of what should happen to the Roman Empire and how God's people should treat the Roman Empire was on extreme opposites. Like, politically, the extreme opposites, more extreme than we would have in Republicans and Democrats today. Very extreme. Matthew, the tax collector, was helping collect money for the Roman Empire. He was seen as a traitor to God's people, according to most Jews. Simon the Zealot, the Zealots were out in the wilderness preparing for battle. They were ready to overthrow the Roman Empire. And both of them happened to follow Jesus together. And guess what? You have to sit down at a campfire at night following Jesus and be right next to somebody that you disagree with that you may not like. And what I want you to see is that following God and following him wholeheartedly means it needs to bleed into how you relate to the people, the humans in your life. The other relationships that you have, it needs to bleed out. I'll say it one more way. And that is that Jesus says the greatest two commandments are these, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. He says everything hinges on those two things. Everything hinges on two things, loving God with everything and loving your neighbor as yourself. All the Old Testament, all the New Testament, everything that's been set up to this point hinges on these two commands. And many of us want to stop at loving God and then keep our friendships, our relationships at an arm's length and not let anybody in. And I would argue, now this, this may be too far, so if, if it, you can throw it out. If it's too far for you, you're not ready to hear this from me just yet, you can throw what I'm about to say out. I would argue that if you are following a Jesus that doesn't push you into healthy relationships, you are following a false God. Because that Jesus probably always looks like you, always agrees with your politics, always agrees with how you spend your money. He happens to love everything you do. He understands all your sins and it's totally okay because he understands how he made you. So you're good. You don't have to change. You just love this guy. And I would argue that maybe you're not really following Jesus. You might be following the false idea you have of who Jesus is. That one you can throw out. That may be too far. If I stepped on your toes, I'm so sorry. We'll get to that later. But let's get into the reality that you cannot do this life alone. You cannot complete all that God has for you by yourself. And if you try to do it, you're going to be missing out on everything that God has. He says it like this in Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. It says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. This is an interesting and confusing passage for me, largely because 
I know that scripture says that my God will never leave me, leave me nor forsake me. My theology tells me that my God is omnipresent, so he's always there. Okay? Two or th- what does it matter if there's two or three? Because you're always with me. David says in the Psalms that if I go to the grave, you're going to be there with me. Why? What's the difference between you being there when there's two or three and you being next to me whenever we're, you're just everywhere? You're always there. So what, how is, what does this even mean to say we're two or three gathered? I would argue that he's telling you the implications of the power that exists when there are two or three, right? He's always there, but his ability to move, his ability to change things shifts when there are two or three gathered in unison, in community, in relationship. You by yourself can pray and fast and believe God and, 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 and have that moment of, of, of alone time with God and believe God, but there is another exponential power of the relationships that you have in your life that are going to go to another level when you decide to do it in community. All of the New Testament is written to be in community. And so tonight, uh, if you haven't heard or you haven't decided to join, you're thinking about some of the stuff we're about to dive into is going to be difficult. Like we're going to talk about some things that have some areas where it's like, I don't know how to handle that. I need to ask some questions. And that's the whole push is to get you into the right relationships. And so tonight we have small groups and you're still invited. You can sign up if you haven't already. Let us know you're going to come. We got childcare. We got food. And some of the things I'm about to ask you to think about, you might need some sounding boards for. And that's what these are for. That's what these small groups tonight are for, is to give you an opportunity to ask, do I have the right relationships? Is this relationship healthy? Like, is it helping me become closer to God? Do I have, am I letting people into my circle that God has not placed there, that are influencing me in the wrong way? Because based on this scripture, when you have the right two or three gathered in his name, when you have the right two or three connected, there is a power that exists in that relationship that he says, when you, when you two agree, when you two or three are connected, when you're in a right community and healthy relationships and the God-given relationships I've sent you, there is a power that doesn't exist with you by yourself. Meaning you're missing out on all that God has for if you're trying to do it alone. And what... Uh, what I don't want to set you up for is this idea of, of an easy, simple relationship where you're just going to meet the right people and it's going to be simple. The reality is that for all of this, this whole context, it's messy. It's, it's messy. Like it's, it's complicated. It's never really just simple, right? You never just meet Jesus and then he tells you all the things to do. If you do that, let me know because I'll follow you. I want to know how you met him like face-to-face on earth physically and you got all the right answers are simple. But it's really messy. The re- one of the reasons I know it's messy is because in Matthew 18, when Jesus says this, he kind of sandwiches in uh, inside of two complicated situations. He says this in the midst of saying relationships are complicated. Right before this verse, uh, Jesus is talking. He's telling them, if you have someone that sins against you, first go to them. And let them know, hey, man, you messed up. You hurt my feelings. You, you sinned against me. You did something wrong against me or my family. And if they hear you, cool. You've gained a new brother and y'all are good. But if they don't hear you, what I need you to do is go gather two or three people. Connect them up and have them come as witnesses to your dispute and let, let them decide. And then if he still doesn't listen, gather the whole group of the church together and let the, that person know that what they've done is wrong. They shouldn't do it. That's complicated. That's messy. That's not simple. And then he says, but when two or three are gathered, I'll do, I'll do whatever you've asked. And then right after that, Peter's like, hey, hold up. How many times do we forgive people though? Like what's the, what's the number for that? Because I want to know because I've got a list going for my neighbor that I don't like and has messed up at least seven times. How, is that enough? On the eighth time, do I get to punch him? Just let me know. I just want to know where your line is, Jesus. And Jesus gives this astronomical number to say like, no, 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 hold up. You've missed the point. You never stop forgiving. 
right? So the, the sandwich of the power, the bread of this sandwich that's mashed together in the power of God is mashed together on both sides of messiness. That, that relationships are messy, that relationships can be difficult, relationships can be complicated. Uh, and it's because of this. Let's look in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. It says that we have this power, this all surpassing power, the light of the knowledge of God is stored up in jars of clay. This illustration of jars of clay is referencing me and you being made of dirt. That, you know, in Genesis, when he made us of dirt and breathed life into us, we are jars of clay. We're fragile, we're chipped, we're broken. We are jars of clay. And all of the treasure of God is found. His surpassing, his surpassing power is found in this jar, in me and you. See, he doesn't take away from the power of God to recognize that the humans that contain it are flawed, are chipped, are broken, are messed up, are difficult. Because the power of God resides in jars of clay means that I recognize that the people that God has placed in my life doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, that it's going to be messy. And if I step into it, right, I step into this relationship and I think, man, they've got it all together. They got a perfect jar. Like they got all, all their, their marriage is perfect. Their kids are perfect. They got the right car. I step into it and I think that they're going to be perfect and it's going to be the perfect friendship and they're going to teach me how to love Jesus well. And then I start to notice their chips. Then I start to notice their flaws and I find out they don't have it all together. I'm going to run. I'm going to jump ship because I expected something that's unrealistic, that's unhealthy, that's not even godly, that's not even outlined in scripture. He says we're all falling short of the glory of God. I'm expecting something unrealistic and then I'm mad about it. I've left church after church after church because they didn't live up to the expectation I had. Well, the expectation you had was they were superhuman, that they were Jesus incarnate. And that's not what happened. He said the power is found in jars of clay in broken, chipped, ugly, messed up jars of clay. Not all of you are ugly. Okay. Not all of you. I'm not saying you're ugly. If you take that offensively, that's on you. Some of you are very pretty, but you got some chips. You got some, some wrinkles. Some of, we start losing hair. We start gaining a little extra jars of clay. We take care of it perfectly. We do all the stuff, all the exercises. We eat right and we still get old. We still have the wrinkles. And then we try to Botox it and then we look weird, right? So all of the stuff that we're doing, that we're trying to keep this, this facade, God is saying, no, 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 no. Before you step into the relationship, before you decide that you need a holy connected communion with a church, with an individual, with a small group, I need you to know when you walk in there, none of them got it all together. None of them have figured this whole thing out. The whole thing is, is that it is in jars of clay that I've got my power, that I've got my anointing. So you're not confused that it was him. He doesn't want you to be confused when the power of God moves in your life and in your relationship and when someone speaks a word over your life and you're like, wow, they are anointed. He doesn't want you to be confused that it was them and their jar of clay. He wants you to be fully aware that it was God's power that moved through them despite them being broken chipped jars. That we can understand that, oh, I love you and have to love you despite of your flaws. Knowing your flaws, I choose to love you. That's real love. 
to love somebody and to think that you can look them in the eye and love them well and not believe that they have any flaws is to love a false idea of them. You don't love them. You love your hope of what they could be. You love the idea of what you wish they were, but you don't love them until you love them with their, with their flaws. Until you look them in the face and recognize this. this. This reality hit me hard this week is that real intimacy, real intimacy is messy. Conflict is intimacy. If you have no conflict at all, if there's no conflict in your relationship, then I would argue that you've never dug deep enough to love each other well enough to find out the flaws and recognize we can still love each other anyways. No, 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 I know you got mistakes. I know you're not perfect. I know you don't have it all together. I know you don't have all the answers, but I still love you. That's love. That's love. Anything else, anything outside of that, to love something and to believe it's something else is to not love it. It's not real intimacy. It's not real connection. Conflict sometimes is a part of the process. Conflict is sometimes a part of the reality that you need to love somebody that doesn't have it all together. And when that becomes difficult, when you look and you're saying, man, I'm just, I can't, Jared. It's too much. It's too hard. It's too difficult. They're just too messed up. I've tried church. I've tried church several times and I find out people are too messed up. I tried small groups and I find out there's just too much difficulty. There's always a mess. There's always complicated. I've tried to be married. I've tried to be in the right relationship and it's just too difficult. I I just can't. I would argue that usually the beginning of that difficulty to be okay with other people's flaws and to be okay with their mistakes starts with the fact that you could never be okay with your own. If you have trouble being okay, if you have trouble like just being okay that people are flawed and messed up, you probably have trouble that you're flawed and you're messed up. And the first start, the first beginning is to to be able to admit your flaws, to be able to just confess. The scripture says to confess one to another. You have to have a one to another. You have to have someone that you can say, listen, I'm messed up. I messed up big time and I don't like it and I need help. You have to have some people in your life that you can say I'm flawed and I need forgiveness and I desperately need grace and I need Jesus desperately because I'm broken. And God can say, now that you know that you're broken, you can receive forgiveness well, even though you know you don't deserve it and you can give forgiveness well because you knew you didn't deserve it. So you're able to extend it to the people around you that you thought they didn't deserve it. Hey, guess what? We all don't deserve it. But once I realized that God's surpassing power is found in this jar, this broken jar, I'm going to start treating it differently. I'm going to treat it with different, different gloves. When I recognize that the holiness of God is found in the individuals around me, despite their flaws, despite the, 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 the struggles on their face that show their past addictions, despite the, the difficulty in the conversation with them, despite all of that, I can look in their eyes and see the divinity that God has placed inside of them, the breath that he's breathed into them, to believe the best and want the best and to see them the way that God has seen them, despite all the tainted things that have happened in their life, all the difficulties in their life until we can get to that place and recognize we will not treat people the way God has called us to treat them. We'll treat them as average. We'll treat them as mundane, as boring, as normal, just another dude, just another girl, just another person, just another kid, just another elderly person. Or they house the surpassing goodness of God. And I'm going to start treating relationships as such. And what I found is, uh, the reason it matters, the reason I want you to come in with healthy expectations, the reason I want you to to try again is because what I found is the power that exists inside of them. When you have the right friends, 
the right people in your life, the right circle that, that you've decided like, no, we're going to go deeper, right? I'm, I'm telling you to believe the best in everybody, no matter how far they are. But not everybody's supposed to be, not everybody's supposed to be your inner circle, right? Jesus picked 12 and then had three that were really tight knit. I'm not saying just because everybody's holy that everybody needs to be in your holy relationship. But I am saying once you find like the few that God is saying, no, no, I need you to invest in this one. This relationship's holy. I've sent it your way. It, when you're together, you, we, we grow, we become closer to God together. This is a relationship, a friendship, a connection point that you need to invest in. You will find out that his surpassing power, his goodness, his mercy is found inside of that. In that jar was everything you needed. One of the things that I've, I've found that most of us need, especially uh, maybe over the last two years, is this deficit that we have of hope. Like I'm, I'm finding more and more like having conversations of people of like, no, 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 you, you can't take the step of faith because you don't have hope that it could be real. You can't take the step of faith to trust somebody else because you don't have hope that it might work. You can't take the step of faith to start your business, to start another relationship, to work on your marriage because you don't have hope. And if you can get into a few good, healthy relationships that God has called you to be in, a, a good circle of friends that are connected to you and you say, you know what, I'm struggling. I just, my marriage, it's falling apart. And they can say, yeah, ours was too. And then God did something and we saw it restored. And then you have a little bit of hope restored in you because that surpassing power was poured out on you in the midst of that relationship. You say, my finances, they're a mess. I just don't think I can get out of this debt. And somebody in that small group can say, no, no, me too. No, I was in debt. And God showed up. I was faithful with what I had. I, and God showed up in a miraculous way. Oh, we've got a sickness in our family. And someone can say, I saw God heal us. I saw God do a healing in this person's body. You can start to have some hope again and some belief. And so the power of those relationships is not just hope, but all of those things. Faith, love, goodness, all the fruits of the spirit are found inside of the right relationships. When you follow God well, it should bleed into healthy relationships. And you've got to decide which relationships it's time to invest in. Like, which ones? And that's what small groups are about. That's what the relationships you have are to have conversations. And you may have somebody come up to you that you know cares about you, loves you, and loves God well. And they may tell you something that you don't want to hear. Like, hey, listen, that person's not good for you. You ever had that, that friend that finally tells you something you don't want to hear? And you're like, man, you just don't, no, nah, you're, just, you're, you're, you're just being a jerk. And you have two choices in that moment. You either believe their, their past, the, the moments that they loved you well, the moments they had your back, or you push them aside and you go keep doing stupid things. Ever had that? Where you're like, nah, no, you don't know. You don't know this relationship. That's, that's my girl. Like, she's, she's different. No, no, no. Y'all aren't good together. Y'all maybe shouldn't be together. Well, no, you just, maybe, just maybe God is sending you some people to speak into your life and they've shown a history of having holiness in them and your connection point to them and it's time to listen. See, I'm, I'm challenging you to, to treat every person you come across with, with holiness, like to believe that the divinity is in them, to believe that God has more for them, to see them differently, but I'm challenging you to take another step in a handful of relationships that you believe as you follow Jesus, you look to your left and to your right and they were there. When you're following Jesus, when you're in your best with Jesus, when you're worshiping, when you're connected to God, when you're reading your scripture and you look and you're like, oh, these are the relationships. These are my Matthews. These are my Simon the Zealots. These are my people. And when they speak, I'm going to listen. 
And, and here's the thing. Some of those are seasonal. Some of those are momentary. But if you'll be looking and trusting and believing that God is sending those to you, you will have ears to hear what God is saying through them, even though they're broken vessels, even though they're messed up. You can recognize, oh, you spoke the words of God, even through your broken jar of clay. I remember one time uh, a friend of mine that uh, came to, through Muskogee just randomly. And it was about a six to eight month friendship. And it was, a, it was a friendship. And see, some of those friendships, I, I get to grow because I get to help other people. Some of those are my favorite friendship. Like, I see you growing. I see you taking the steps. It's inspiring me. I get excited. You're excited. And this guy was going to my grandparents' church and was struggling with some mental health issues and struggling to get back on his feet. Well, he's working at a car dealership, getting back on his feet. And uh, one day in like November, December of uh, probably 2009, he comes up to me. He's like, hey, Jared, I met your wife. I was like, I'm sorry, what? I'm not, I'm single as can be at that point. You, I'm sorry, you, you, you're back to your mental health issues, I guess. Okay, it's cool, it's cool. Let's talk, let's pray this out. He's like, no, 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 I met your wife. I was like, that's weird, man, that you said that. Uh, tell me about it. And so he's selling a car and this older gentleman comes in and brings his granddaughter with him. And he says, I'm driving down the road and I turned to look in the back seat to, see who, to, to, to talk to the granddaughter. And God told me that's Jared's wife. I was like, bro, who is it? Who's this girl? What are you talking about? You're crazy. He's like, uh, this is her name. Her name's Ashley. And this is where I was like, I know that girl. I've been knowing that girl. I've already gone on two dates with that girl. It's over. It's done. It's not going to happen. You're talking crazy. Get behind me, Satan. Like all of this stuff. I'm like, it's not going to happen. It's just, so I give him the story. I give him the story of like why the two dates didn't work out. Like we're not meant to be together, bro. He looks, he hears me. Like he's listening intently the whole time of my story. And I'm, I'm on a like, like, this is it. Like, I'm just going to tell you I'm done. He looks me straight in the face. He's like, bro, after hearing your story, I think you should give it another shot. I was like, that was, I mean, it like kind of gave me chills. Just, okay. So there's like this seed planted in the back of my head. And sure enough, it grew long enough for me to reach out and give it another shot. And today, if you haven't already caught the connection point at the end of this, my wife's name is Ashley. The, the girl he looked back at in the backseat is my wife. And without that relationship, that connection point, I might have missed out on the most important relationship I've ever had in my life. Because God sent somebody in a season, in a moment, and there was a holy connection point at the right time, at the right place that led to fruit in my life. And I get to be where I'm at with who I am because of that moment. And for some of you, the power of what God is going to call you to do is going to call you to grow and stretch and to believe that God can do more. And then you're going to start being like Jesus because what that grows you into is to be more like Jesus because eventually you get poured into and you pour into other people. And before you know it, you start to see people the way Jesus sees people. The right relationships make you see life differently. And you start to be like Jesus, where he looked at his disciples and said, I know what the world sees in you. I know the jar of clay, but I see the God stuff that's there too. I see what's there. Like for Peter, I guarantee you, Peter was considered a hothead. Like he's just this random fisherman that nobody would have known anything about except for God saw something in him. Yeah, yeah, you probably overcommit yourself. You're probably really passionate, really loud. You're ready to fight all the time. You're the guy that talks trash and can't back it up. That's Peter, in my opinion, right? Peter's like, listen, I ain't never going to deny you, Jesus. I'll never deny you. And Jesus is like, hold up. You're going to do it three times before the rooster crows in the morning. What do you say if you're Peter? Like, nah, what? No, nah, I won't do that. Sure enough, he wakes up and does it. Like, this, this, this guy that's overcommitted and God's like, I see something in you that you can't see in yourself yet. And I'll speak it into you until it comes to fruition. No, no, I see the jar of clay. I see the broken parts in you, but I also see the all-surpassing power. 
I also see something. And so for many of you, the relationships will grow you to see people differently, to invest in people differently, to love people differently so that people can look you in the eyes and you can love them well and they can speak hard truths to you and hear it. You can say, you know what? We can disagree and love each other. Man, hey man, I just need to tell you that, that thing you're doing, that's starting to become an addiction. I think you need to watch it. No, you don't know. You don't know. I don't understand. No, no, no. I realize we're in a holy relationship, so I'm going to listen. I'm gonna, let me pray about that. Let me think about that. It will grow you in a way that nothing else on this planet will. Because your, your, whole, your whole goal is to love God well and love your neighbors yourself. It's that simple. And many of us have stopped at loving God well, and we're not loving each other well. You got to love when you disagree, love with the flaws. You see the God in people. One of the relationships that, um, that rocked me uh, was a relationship that I decided to stick out. Um, and it was with my grandparents. My grandparents were getting up in years and uh, they were in their late 70s pastoring a church. And I wanted to see them finish well because they'd invested in me. And I knew it was a holy relationship because my spiritual walk, all of my spiritual walk really comes from them. They invested in me. They saw things in me. They believed in me. They spoke things into me that I don't know that it would have been there without them nurturing. And so I want to see them finish well. And later in years, like, uh, they, you know, my grandfather's health started to, to wane. He was in his 80s, still pastoring. He didn't know how to retire. Um, had rent houses and pastored. He was an insane person. He was a mountain of a man for me, right? He was, the, he was that guy that just seemed like he could speak the words of God every time he got up and preach. It was just something in his voice. There was something there, some anointing. And what you would think is that that relationship, the way that it invested in me, one of the most powerful things was a moment that he preached or a moment that he laid hands on me and spoke a word of wisdom over my life. Any of those moments you would think would be the most powerful. But then I just decided to stick with them. Like, I'm just going to be here. I'm going to love them well. I'm going to try to help as much as I can in their later years. And the moment, one of the moments that sticks out as absolutely the most impactful was just a random drive to Salisaw. Uh, he was, he was kind of, uh, his health wasn't doing real well. So my grandmother wouldn't let him drive. So I got to be his driver anytime he was outside of town. And on this drive, the guy who I idolized as a man of God just decided to tell a story about his childhood and about the guy that I saw do amazing things in the kingdom and change lives and, and, and just speak the words of God every Sunday started to tell me how he just didn't understand how God could use him because he couldn't even finish the eighth grade. How, how after his childhood trauma, how God could use him to, to reach the people that he's reached because of all the things he's gone through, the, the ways that he didn't think he was intelligent enough, the ways that he didn't think he could make it. And in that moment, the power that existed in him was the power of the reality that God was using somebody with a broken jar. And if God can use somebody with a broken jar, he can use me too. The power of your relationships is the power to see flaws in other people and still see the power of God. The power to see the mistakes that they've made and still see God work through them. The power of God is found in the right relationships when you find you can love people well in the midst of their pain and their hurt and their flaws. You can still believe the best in people. You can still see the all-surpassing power of God in the midst of their brokenness and their difficulty. But all of that happens through loving God well and seeing the holy relationships God has placed in your life. Let's pray. We're so glad you joined us for today's message. Our prayer is that God got the message you needed most today. If you're still here joining us and you're looking for an opportunity to connect to the Brick Church through giving, you can do that by texting the word BRICK to 45888. 
That's the word brick to 45888. The first time you do that, it's going to send you a link, give you the opportunity to connect that number to a credit card, debit card, or bank account. And as you connect with us and we partner together to reach people, we pray that God blesses you in your giving.